0: This is the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Matthew Weldon.
1: And I'm Mary McCluskey.
0: Those of us who advocate for religious liberty tend to focus on narrow issues like the contraceptive mandate, anti-Sharia bills, conscience protection for medical professionals, and most recently, disaster relief for houses of worship. But it's crucial that in our work, we are grounded in a Catholic understanding of religious freedom which fits within a broader set of teaching, often called Catholic social teaching. Dr. David Cloutier is here to talk with us about religious liberty and Catholic social teaching. Dr. Cloutier is Associate Professor of Theology at the Catholic University of America. He writes on moral theology, and his most recent book is The Vice of Luxury, Economic Excess and a Consumer Age, published by Georgetown University Press. He also serves as editor at the blog, CatholicMoralTheology.com. I definitely recommend checking that out when you get the chance. Dr. Cloutier, thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with us. Uh, It's great to join you over here uh, at the bishop's offices. So uh, we're talking about uh, religious freedom and Catholic social teaching. Many Catholics might have a general sense for what religious freedom is, but they're a little bit unsure about Catholic social teaching. Can you just give us a general sense for what Catholic social teaching is? I think the most helpful general definition is to
2: think about Catholic social teaching as relating the demands of the gospel to the problems of any society. Um, It's not just U.S. society. Um, Catholic faith isn't just a private faith. Um, The demands of the gospel aren't just about our individual private lives, um, they're about the whole of our lives. Now, our culture tends to construct religion in a very individualistic and and privatistic way, and... uh, 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 I think some Catholics can can think that religion is really just about me and and maybe me and my family, and not recognize that the demands of the gospel are me- are, are meant to address the problems of society, not just the problems of of my individual life mm-hmm. um, Another way to think about this is to recognize that the hope that all Catholics have is for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven and that that's a real kingdom it's a society um uh, that that we're aimed at and that we ought to think about the way in which that society that we hope for is related to the society that we actually live in now obviously that relationship is complicated but there is a relationship they're not completely distinguished from one another and everyone recognizes that there is a relationship um, it's just that we don't think through the way in which that relationship gets lived out in various areas of our lives
1: what immediately comes to my mind is- is just the focus so much lately on evangelization. I mean part of just living your faith not just privately but publicly and socially is is you know and it's so tied to religious liberty. I mean we have the we have the freedom to live our faith openly and in the public sphere, we evangelize. We witness to that faith.
2: Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, public witness uh, on all sorts of issues is one of the most effective evangelization tools. One of the reasons I wrote the book on the vice of luxury was um, a recognition that uh, the simplicity of Pope Francis was a very powerful evangelizing tool, um, even to non-Catholics. They actually wanted to, to see a pope who drove a more simple automobile, for example, or who related more on a on a person to person level with clerks and things like that. And, but th- that's not just true of a pope; it ought to be true of of all Catholics. They ought to think about how can my life look look simple and how is that an effective witness uh uh, to my faith
0: Uh, you know one question that just comes to mind with this is uh what is the you know we're kind of talking about that it's a set of principles it's Mm -hmm. it's, uh, responding to the demands of the gospel in public life just on a more basic level even i mean what like, in what form does this teaching come? We're talking its encyclical letters, right? Mostly. Uh, yes. and I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on this question, sure. but just to give people who are unfamiliar a general sense of what we're even talking about, it's, it's this body of texts. Yeah. Most people would say it kind of starts with Leo the Thirteenth, or that's kind of a debatable thing. Could you just comment a little bit about yeah. on it? Tra- Traditionally, modern Catholic social teaching, this idea of applying
2: the demands of the gospel to the problems of society— um, uh, begins with Leo XIII in 1891. Obviously, Catholics were living out their faith in economic life and, and government before that. But this is really the beginning of a kind of official magisterial teaching tradition mm-hmm. about how to do that in modern societies. Leo himself was facing uh, the rise of industrialism and, and large corporations and factory labor that Um, uh, the kinds of abuses associated with that Mm -hmm. Um, and so this has developed over the last century and a quarter and probably the two ideas that I stress as a foundation are the dignity of the human person and the common good, Mm -hmm. that you have to start with these two ideas they're permanent principles, they're applicable to any society at at any time, Mm -hmm. Um, and that we have to think about these two themes together Mm -hmm. um, when we're thinking about the Catholic social vision Um, Most Catholics are familiar with the importance of human dignity, but in an individualistic culture, that can sometimes seem like an assertion of rights only Mm -hmm. and and not an equal consideration of a person's responsibilities Mm -hmm. to society. Now, those responsibilities largely have to do with seeking the common good. Right? And so if we only stress the dignity of the human person without also stressing the common good, people can sometimes think, well, this is just individual rights. This is just the church's language for individual rights. On the other hand, if we stress the common good without stressing the dignity of the human person, um, we, uh, there are all sorts of ways in which we're tempted to sacrifice individual weak persons for the sake of the good of the society the mm-hmm. common good. We see this across the board. We see it um, in, in the a- economic sphere when we think about the exploitation of workers or the underground economy. We see it, obviously, with problems like abortion and euthanasia and thinking about these things as, as supposedly contributing to public health, mm-hmm. right, um, the, the common good. Um, so we have to recognize that, that uh, not just in our own society, but in all societies, there's a temptation to sacrifice individual people, especially weak people, for the common good. On the other hand, we can also stress the individual dignity of people in a way that uh, forgets that that's not just about individual rights, but it's about responsibilities. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a little bit like we always joke around the office, oh, so both and... Both Both and. and Both
2: together, individual dignity and the common good. And in fact, the Catholic vision suggests that these things are related. Mm -hmm. That we only really realize our humanity by participating in relationships with others. Mm -hmm. Right? Most Mm -hmm. Catholics recognize that these relationships with others are actually the only way that we achieve our
0: individual good. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know... You mentioned the evangelization aspect of it and uh, you know I'm thinking about how the, this that the teaching itself is attractive that uh, uh-huh. you know, I mean I myself am a convert to Catholicism and part of what I wouldn't I didn't become Catholic because of Catholic social teaching, but when I first was introduced to it it already it was it, I was already kind of drawn in because it's so holistic that it covers so much and the way that it all fits together. I mean, it's very attractive, I think, even to Mm -hmm. non-Catholics. But I I also think on the other hand, that it can seem a little daunting if uh, you're not an activist or an academic. Like I I encountered this at an evangelical seminary. So it was in that context. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, if you don't live in the university world or you're not an activist, uh, you might not think that you can comprehend it all or that, Or you may think that taking all of these principles seriously in public life, it almost seems unrealistic. And we're talking about the traps you can fall in if you Mm go one, all one way or all the other. If you try to hold it all together, that seems uh, like a difficult way. That's a difficult Mm -hmm. thing to do. Um, Just how do we respond to that when we're trying to promote this vision? You know, what should Catholic social teaching mean for for just everyday Catholics? So the... The phenomenon you describe is not really
2: different from Catholic teaching on marriage and family. It's attractive, uh, at least on the surface, to a lot of people, but it's demanding. Um, It's complicated. There's a whole documentary tradition associated with it, Um, and uh, many people believe it's unrealistic when they're actually faced with the demands of the modern world. They say, oh, well, the church says these things, and it's beautiful, but... Let's be real. Mm -hmm. That's not the way the world works. Mm -hmm. Well, social teaching is the same way. And of course, people don't set out to live out the fullness of the church's teaching on marriage and family by reading all the documents. Or even thinking that they need to be experts on all of the documents. Where do they start? So much to read. No way. (laughs) Where where do they start? They start with the fact that every day you live out a certain kind of vision of marriage and family. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, Thinking about spouse and children in a certain way. Thinking about your sexual gifts Mm -hmm. in a certain way. The Catholic social teaching should be the same way. Every day when you wake up in the morning, you think, I'm living in society. Mm -hmm. How is my life in society? All the things I'm going to do this day, animated by the social teachings of the church. Now that's demanding, but it's not overwhelming. I think one of the challenges is that we think about the social teaching and we think, hey, that means I should volunteer at the homeless shelter more. That seems daunting. Another appointment on our calendar. Right. How many times can you volunteer? It's something separate from our lives. Or we think, oh, I should petition the government or I should lobby for laws. But that seems unrealistic and, mm-hmm. and it, it seems like the province of activists. And it's mistaken to think that social teaching is just about government. Mm -hmm. Or um, uh, that it's just about charitable acts, the works of mercy. Those things are both important. But it's really about getting up in the morning and realizing you live in a neighborhood, you live in a workplace, you engage in economic transactions, and your faith is supposed to animate all of those. Mm -hmm. And to become increasingly aware of the way in which the your faith can animate those and mm-hmm. and you can do those in a different way.
1: Yeah. So across the street my neighbor's dog has been barking a <laughs> lot lately. So, you know, that's something that I'm like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to think about this more pray about this more like how can I apply Catholic social teaching to this situation with the dog that won't stop barking for hours every morning, right? You know, I can go to my neighbor and say, hey, for the common good, did you know that your dog, <laughs> is your dog ill? I'm really concerned about your dog, you know. So thank you. You've, you've inspired me. <laughs>
2: Great. Well, you, 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 you can think about this also uh, in terms of uh, ways you might respond to that might be typical but not very constructive. I think about this sometimes when I think about people doing irritating things. In the comments, I think I should complain to someone. I should call the police on <laughs> right, that, right. or I, I should do something confrontational, mm-hmm. and in fact, you might have to do that in, in, uh, in really serious circumstances, but many times solving those problems are, is, is really a matter of taking the risk of complaining to the neighbor, but trying to do it in a charitable way, and th- that is Catholic social teaching. That's building a common good between you and your neighbor and not just referring it to an authority or an impersonal right because
1: they have she, she has a right to have her dog but wow, there's also the common good of the quiet of the neighborhood yeah. and yeah. yeah all right
0: cool yeah. well, <laughs> I mean I think one of the things you said though that I, I really want to highlight that's that's helpful is that you know you beginning by saying it's responding to the demands of the gospel and then talking about how all of us live in society whether we're cognizant of it or not. And so I think a lot of Catholics they may not think well I want to learn more about Catholic social teaching but many Catholics many Christians in general might just say I would like to try to be a better Christian or I want to follow uh-huh. Jesus more closely and what you're saying if I'm hearing you correctly is that that's what that's Catholic social teaching can help you uh helps with that that that's what it's really about it's just it's looking at one the this public dimension of our lives And talking about how to be a a, a disciple, the bishops lately have been talking a lot about missionary discipleship. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is part, this is a major part of what it is as a person, you know, you're, you are, you occupy a lot of roles. Uh, You're, you know, you're in a family or you work in a job or you're a citizen. You know, all of these things are kind of, um, you're, those are all like bound up together and that—that's a big part of Catholic social teaching. Is showing This is how to be a disciple as a citizen. you being a citizen isn't separated from everything else. Is that? Can, and being a neighbor too. I mean, being as, not right. just a citizen of the United States, but for me, uh, a, a citizen of North Brentwood, Maryland, or whatever. I mean, of a particular place. Also, I think I think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind.
2: Yeah. Society is a very complicated place. We shouldn't just think about it as the relationship between us and a governmental body. There's actually many governmental bodies that people are in relationship with, um, Mm -hmm. uh, state, local neighborhood councils. um, They're often in uh, relationship with these bodies in complicated ways um, uh, through school systems, for example, or through the use of certain public services uh, uh, like roads or transit Mm -hmm. that we recognize that the government uh, provides. But uh, we're still talking about the government. Society is way, way larger than the government. Mm -hmm. It's partly about the fact that we live on a block or in a neighborhood Mm -hmm. with other people um it's partly about the fact that most of our uh, goods and services are provided by other private individuals or groups corporations or businesses we usually Mm -hmm. call them that's all catholic social teaching Mm -hmm. like our interaction within businesses and with businesses ought to be animated by the principles of catholic social teaching not just not just government, because that's part of what makes up society as well. So we, we need to recognize all of the ways in which life in society is a lot richer than just thinking about laws and, and, and governmental lobbying.
1: Yeah, that's helpful, because I think people have a tendency to think of it as something out there. Society right. is out there, but but in your everyday activities, you're so much a part of it. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and to, to uh, loop this back to the the very important point about um, that everyone recognizes about Catholic responsibility for the poor, um, one of the big clear messages from both from social science research and from Catholic teaching is that many of the poor in our society are disadvantaged because they are cut off from social networks. Mm -hmm. We live increasingly in geographical spaces where wealthy people live with wealthy people. Like lives with like. Mm -hmm. Um, A sociologist calls it the big sort. And one of the effects of that is not necessarily that poor people don't have access to an income stream, but they don't have access to the kinds of informal social networks that enable them to get help when they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Someone to care for your kid if you get called to an emergency appointment or someone who runs a runs a business and so can offer your kid an internship for a couple weeks in, in the summer and give them a leg up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just cut off from those networks. And so we need to think about ways in which we can help the poor, not just by bringing food uh, for, a, for a soup kitchen or a food pantry, but for uh, building social networks mm-hmm. that are necessary to integrate them better into society. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, we, I want to get to the uh, how religious freedom fits into this. And, of course, you know, and this is a relatively short discussion. Uh, there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything. So I just want to focus on on one point. Uh, and that's uh, we've talked about uh, common good, human dignity, I also want to talk a little bit about solidarity and subsidiarity, which are two, two important themes in Catholic social teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard you, I, I was at a panel discussion not long ago at Catholic University where you talked about these principles and how they are often seen as being in tension with each other when in fact they're mutually reinforcing. And I thought that what you had to say was very helpful for thinking about what religious freedom is about today. We'll get to that in a little bit, but... Uh, First, will you just tell us what is solidarity, what is subsidiarity, and how do they work together? Um, yeah, I would think one of the challenges is when we think about Catholic
2: social teaching as a list of principles, we think it's like a recipe, a little bit of this spice and a little bit of that spice, and you don't want to have too much of either spice. But that's, of course, not how these principles work. They have logical relationships to one another. So solidarity, um, as St. John Paul II describes it in one of his encyclicals, is simply the claim that we are all really responsible for all. Mm-hmm. everyone is responsible for everyone else we're all in this together is a really simple way to say this and the we is as expansive as you can make it, it's ultimately the whole whole human race um, we're all in this together and we take that responsibility seriously um, subsidiarity came into the tradition at a different time uh, Pius XI in 1931 uh, wrote an encyclical um, Uh, concerned with the rise of Soviet communism and uh, European fascism. And those were absolute top-down command and control governments. Um, We might call them dictatorships today. And subsidiarity was meant to suggest that while government can do things that are good for society, that government should not take over um, groups that are at lower levels, that can provide for themselves. Um, that governments, high-up governments, nation-state governments, should not absorb the responsibilities of lower groups. Mm-hmm. So both of those principles um, uh, uh, have animated the tradition.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, like it seems often that when you hear these terms kind of bandied about, that su- subsidiarity is taken just to mean less government and solidarity means more government that's often the right. way they they're talked about and as i understand it i mean that's not really the case and you know the two things are they go together they're not sort of in opposition to each other one question i have is first will you you know talk a little bit about that how they enforce one another also do you think where do you think the misunderstanding comes from do you think that it's because these are such complex issues mm-hmm. do you think that political polarization has something to do with, with mm-hmm. it also? I mean, just you know, talk a little bit more about
2: that. Well, let me talk about the relationship of the issues and then talk about why I think it's troubling. They're pitted against one another. Um, the relationship isn't big government versus little government or government versus individual. The relationship is means and ends. Mm-hmm. The end is solidarity. The goal is our fulfilling our responsibilities to care for our neighbor all of our neighbors. The means is through smaller organizations, right? Um, So to use an example, um, uh, we're, we're here in Washington, D.C. I have a responsibility for my suffering neighbor in Arizona. We are all really responsible for all. I cannot say that's Arizona's problem or that's somebody else's problem. It's my problem. Now, is the solution to have the federal government directly take responsibility for that person in Arizona? Subsidiarity says, probably not. (laughs) Maybe, under certain circumstances, Mm -hmm. but probably not. Probably there are better means... To fulfill that responsibility. So an example in that case would be the federal government might take some funds from rich people in wealthier states and shift them to poorer states, Mm -hmm. but the poorer states themselves ought to take responsibility for people who are struggling in their community. Mm -hmm. That's subsidiarity in action. Mm -hmm. But subsidiarity is the way we fulfill our responsibilities for everyone, not a way of limiting our responsibilities for Mm -hmm. other people.
1: Um,
2: I I think in our partisan context, we we tend to narrate these principles as aligning with one party or the other. Um, And in fact, uh, we kind of have a we're we're all really responsible for all party. That's the big government party. And we have a don't let government absorb everything party, which is the small government party. And they do stress these things, but they don't think in terms of a goal that they ought to share. We're really responsible for all. And then a means that they ought to share, mm-hmm. um, which is using smaller organizations and not just top-down federal programs. Mm-hmm.
1: So then connect that us for me, because my, my brain isn't doing it. So then the connection between means and ends of subsidiarity and solidarity and religious liberty, religious freedom.
0: Oh, I have a question. We're, that, that's where we're going <laughs> Okay, next. all right, so, okay. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I,
2: like, you wanna,
0: yeah, I'll go ahead. We'll, we'll go ahead and... Um, you know, ask what I'm thinking about next, um, where I think that the religious liberty comes into play here, is that um, I think that most people understand religious freedom is, has to do with immunity from coercion. That's, I mean, I think in general, even if you don't, like, grasp all the nuances of uh, Catholic teaching on religious liberty, that part gen- people get. Uh, they shouldn't be forced to profess a faith they don't believe, and as much as possible, they should be free to exercise their faith. Uh, but there's more to it, and as I understand what what you're saying about uh, solidarity and subsidiarity, uh, Catholic social teaching is envisioning this plurality of institutions. That when you talk about the, these different um, different means of addressing different problems in society, uh, you have to have non-government institutions to do to do these sorts of things. So we have. Uh, recreational leagues service organizations charitable institutions social clubs and religious institutions and so it seems to me that we have to think about a political culture where the internal lives of institutions can be regulated by the government and it's tricky i think i mean this is a, it's a complicated issue because on the one hand some of these regulations do aim at things that we think are good uh, like ensuring that people are treated fairly uh, this sort of, this is these are good things uh, On the other hand there's the concern that sometimes it, they don't allow enough space for us to have a true plurality of institutions uh, we start to have this situation where institutions are almost treated as if they they have to as if they're almost just branches of the federal government um, or, or where only a secular kind of morality is allowed into the public square. And so that can erode institutional life. And so I think that this is a broader kind of religious freedom issue. It's not one that's just easily addressed sometimes by some of the kind of these hot-button issues that are out there today. Um, And so it seems to me that promoting religious freedom in our current actual concrete circumstances is partly about promoting what Pope Francis has called an authentic pluralism. Uh, you know, do you think that this is a helpful way for thinking about this issue? What would you add to that? Yeah, I think that that, that is
2: very helpful, and I think an authentic pluralism of institutions is necessary in any society that's practicing subsidiarity, um, uh, whether it is large uh, corporate interests or uh, multinational corporations and banks or whether it is large government interests there's a desire to clear out the intermediate zone so that mm-hmm. these two these two large uh, entities can can have control of individuals mm-hmm. um, so plurality of institutions very good um, how does this connect to religious freedom well I would say that there are three um, Uh, the three ideas that one would want to pay attention to that are challenging in our present context. Um, One is that there is no morality-free zone Mm -hmm. for government laws. We pretend that there is, but the reality is that for most of American history, there's something that scholars often call civil religion, that has undergirded the law. And it is a pretty generic, common understanding of what human life is about and decency, and particularly it's animated our understanding of marriage and family and the relationships between men and women, none of which are written into the Constitution, mm-hmm. right? So how do, how did we all come to share them? Well, there's this civil religion. Yes, we have all sorts of different branches of Christianity. We have other religions in America, but there's still kind of this underlying general generic morality Mm -hmm. right now that's changing Mm -hmm. right uh really for the first time in the in the history of the united states and we don't really have a clear grasp of what's replacing it but when i say that there's no morality free zone something is replacing it Mm -hmm. there's that it's it's let's pretend land to imagine that you can have laws that govern a society that don't have an implied moral vision. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So part of what I think religious freedom advocates need to do is force the government to uh, make explicit the moral vision that they're promoting.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In theory, um, the government should... Not promote a moral vision, or be very limited in doing it, um, but because we pretend that we don 't do that, um, it can happen w- without us doing it. So I think the first point is is to make clear the way in which a moral vision really is being imposed illegitimately. Um, uh, on the internal lives of all sorts of institutions, not just religious ones. Mm-hmm. Um, do we agree with that moral vision? Well, for example, uh, the civil rights movement um, in terms of equality for African-Americans, we agree with that. We want to impose that moral vision on, um, on groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we need to be explicit about that being a moral vision. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were in the 60s. Because we still had that civil religion. We're not now. Um, A couple other uh, shorter points uh, uh, that are challenging in terms of this plurality of institutions. Um, Americans often define religion in a private and individualistic way in terms of spirituality or just religious ceremonies. And as far as I know, um, most... uh, people accept the idea that the catholic church for example will be able to continue to celebrate communion any way it wants and it will continue to decide who can go to communion and who can preside over communion um, freely we might reach a time when that was not the case Mm -hmm. but most people are are okay with that it's it's when um, uh, religion sponsor institutions like universities uh, uh, charitable organizations social clubs, sports clubs um, mm-hmm. animating this civil society that the, the uh, problem comes up most vividly mm-hmm. and we have not worked out what the common definition is in the society mm-hmm. um, finally uh, just briefly um, uh, there's a challenge if you depend on government money does the government get to tell you what rules? So it's it's difficult to defend one's autonomy within an organization if, for example, the organization receives 50% of its funding from... The government you can't Mm -hmm. say government give us the money but don't tell us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what to do and that is the case for many of these institutions they actually rely on the government on the one hand but then they want to resist this vision on the other hand and Mm -hmm. it seems like you got to go one way or the other
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that's certainly one of the difficulties with the um, I think especially with our uh, migration and refugee services is you know we're one of the best right at, at um, settling refugees, I believe that right now it's about 30% or roughly 30% mm-hmm. of the refugees that come into the U.S. are settled by um, by Migration Refugee Services. I mean, they're working with other organizations. They're not right? right. doing it all themselves. Uh, but then you have this issue of because we're not going to refer people for abortions um you know, we'll, are we still able to get federal contracts? Uh, so certainly that's that definitely is is one of the very uh, difficult issues that's out there.
2: Yeah. And I, I think in those cases, uh, stress needs to be laid on how much work for the common good mm-hmm. is being done by these organizations. You, the church must make the case that these organizations contribute to the common good, not just the one's religious mission, but the mm-hmm. common good. And so, the, the government has an interest in continuing to allow them to
0: flourish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think, uh, in fact, uh, uh, Archbishop Lory had an op-ed about about this that um, you know where the MRS uh, often gets sued, or sometimes it's the government that gets sued for giving MRS a, um, for giving MRS a grant. Um, so while everybody is upset about refugees being restricted, there's also this active effort to shut down one of the biggest <laughs> groups. If they are shut down, there's nobody, there's no evidence that there's anybody who's going to take up the slack. You, there wouldn't be any way to bring the, the refugees, um, or some of these migrants into the country. So I think that the common good point is, um, it's important to bring out that, that that these groups—they're not—we're not just asking for, you know, uh, freedom to just do whatever we want. That it's—I mean—it's to make a contribution. I think I right. think you're right that it's important that we do a better job, um, just letting people know what we actually do.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and just to clarify, the MRS is the Migration and Refugee Services Office here at mm-hmm. the USCBC, yes, yes. and mm-hmm. is a one of the biggest, probably is the biggest department in our building.
0: Yes, it's the biggest department in the USCCB mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing just to, let's just wrap up kind of on a practical note. Um, part of this discussion, uh, I kind of mentioned this, that it seems like we need to, to, in order to have an authentically free society, we have to build up local institutions. You mentioned uh, building social networks as a way to serve the poor, the mm-hmm. importance of that. And um, do you have any final comments on just, you know, what's something that, what can Catholics do to kind of respond uh to this idea, to this vision?
2: First and foremost, I would like us to start thinking of the church itself as a social institution, rather than thinking that we have to, in order to do social work, interact with um, state institutions especially, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So the example that we were just talking about in terms of migration, there are ways in which the function of showing hospitality to migrants could be internalized into the life of dioceses and parishes. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, uh, and when I say internalized, uh, we have a somewhat of a bureaucratic structure now. Mm-hmm. Um, and internalized means that this hospitality would go on the way we think about adult formation programs going on. Most dioceses recognize that delivery of adult formation is going to happen at the parish level, and it's going to involve commitment from volunteers in the parish, even if there's some coordinating function going on at a diocese. How, how might hospitality... Um, function in that way hospitality to migrants function in that way how is it that the advantage that we already have a bureaucratic structure that's national that involves cooperations how can it show some subsidiarity Mm -hmm. so that people start thinking of their parish as as a place that does things in the world not just contributes money to doing things in the world, right, Right. or collects food for a food drive, but actually serves as building social networks, building social capital, whether it's migration, uh, 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 sharing parishes. I grew up in Chicago, and we had a a sharing parish uh, 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 set up with an inner-city parish that was very poor. Um, And unfortunately, sharing meant... Putting every month an envelope for the sharing parish mm-hmm. in the collection basket. I do not ever remember us going to their school. I went to K through eight school there. I do not. We didn't go to their school. They didn't come to ours. There was not choir sharing. I was in the minis- music ministry. There, there weren't any actual practical networks built between the inner city parish right, right. and us, even though we were only maybe five miles apart. Mm-hmm. So thinking about the church and and the parish as as a real social network Mm -hmm. I think would be a great way forward and it would establish this authentic pluralism even more strongly in people's minds
0: well I think that's a good place to close but it also I think sets us up for uh, you to come back and talk more about this because uh, Mm -hmm. we have had uh, Todd Scribner who works in migration and refugee services he's actually a a CUA graduate in history uh, and he's talked to us kind of about kind of how in terms of doing this work with migrants how the Catholic Church even got involved in that and I'm thinking that'd be great to have both of you on at the same time and we can kind of talk about you know how we can take what we're doing and as you say internalize it more at the local level practice subsidiarity uh, within the structures that we have you can kind of um, or to kind of change or re- revise or, or think through how we can do these things differently so Uh, I think that's very helpful. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. It's a great pleasure to have this conversation. Definitely. So uh, this is Aaron Matthew Weldon.
1: And Mary McCleskey. Thank you for joining us for the First Freedom Podcast.